Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Radio DePaul podcast for another week. I'm Derek Peters. Monday is Columbus Day, which is a controversial holiday with a controversial man at its center. That's what we're dedicating our entire episode to today. It's one long story. Without further ado, I hope you enjoy it. When I was a kid, I always remember getting the day off of school for Columbus Day. It always seemed to sneak up on me. I could never really keep track of when it was exactly. I sometimes would forget which month it was in or that it even existed at all. I would count down the days until other holidays, Thanksgiving, Christmas, literally for months. But Columbus Day was different. It came and then it went. Not a lot of fuss was made about it. Don't get me wrong. I learned about Columbus, it seems like, every year, from kindergarten until eighth grade. I learned the rhymes, I watched the schoolhouse rock videos, we looked at cartoons that showed Columbus regally standing on the beach, surrounded by dozens of semi-naked natives. I learned this stuff, but we never dwelt on it for too long. In fact, if you missed the right day of social studies class, you might return to find the class already talking about the Puritans. It wasn't until I was a junior in high school that I found out why I had such a transient knowledge of Columbus and of Columbus Day. It seemed my teachers didn't quite know what to do with Columbus, and I can't say that I blame them. It's just really hard to explain the intricacies of a generalized colonialist mindset to a bunch of first graders. But because of this uncertainty, because of the lack of a clean narrative on Columbus, I'm left with a lot of confusion around Columbus Day. And I'm not the only one. If you go out and ask a bunch of college kids about Columbus, you'll typically get a hodgepodge of semi-remembered facts and unformed opinions. I know because Matt Barbusio, a producer on this show, went out and he did just that. What three ships did Columbus sail to get to the United States? The Maria, the Santa Ana, some, I don't know. The Pinta, the Santa Maria. The Nina. Oh my God. Pinta? Nina, oh my god. I'm on the spot. (laughs) Wait, is it the Pinta, the the Santa Maria, and the Nina? What's that song? (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Um, What do you think of Christopher Columbus as a man? Ambitious, uh, but, uh, you know, kind of cruel, I guess, in the, at the same time. So uh, I didn't know him too well, but from what, uh, from what I read in my sixth grade history books, he sounded like a pretty noble guy and uh, okay. discovered some new things. So a, a terrible person. Why? Well, you're talking to two anthropology majors, so we hate him, basically. I mean, he did everything wrong. Um, not good, because he colonized all of America and repressed an entire population. I didn't know the man personally, but I've heard... Uh, uh, dissenting opinions that uh, you know he, he did kill a lot of people, but he also brought great things. So uh, there's there's many great people who did bad things as well. Um, so as a man, I don't uh, can't respect him too much. Um, as a discoverer, I can. Now ask somebody younger what they know about Columbus, and you're likely to get a much more detailed answer, which makes sense after all the songs and the poems and the cartoons are all still fresh in their minds. But the Christopher Columbus and the story they tell doesn't sound too much like the one you're bound to read about if you were to crack open a college history textbook. What is your name and what school do you go to? 
My name is Kabir, and I go to Patterson Elementary School. How old are you, and what grade are you in? I am eight, and the grade that I am in is second. Do you know who Christopher Columbus is? He's a person who found America. And what else do you know about him? He lives, he used to live in Spain. Mm -hmm. He found Native Americans. He traded with the Native Americans, brought some home to Spain. Does your school say Columbus is a good guy or a bad guy? Good guy. Why? Because he was a person who found America and they're thankful for him because that's how a lot of people turned to be find gold and had fun instead of just Spain being the people who found iron, gold, because all the Native Americans found was trees and they used those materials from nature. Okay. So without Spain, <laughs> Native Americans would only use bark and fire. The goal today is a simple one, to talk about Christopher Columbus, the real Columbus, not the one from grade school. We're going to talk about the nuances, the inconveniences, and the inconsistencies. We're going to take into account the historical context and politics. We're going to talk to smart people who have strong opinions. Welcome aboard, friends. We're about to go on a long journey. Out of the belly of Christopher's ship, a mob burst running in all directions, pulling furs off animals, shooting buffalo, shooting each other. Pioneers and traders bring gifts, smallpox, seagrams, and rice krispies. Civilization has reached the promised land. That's the voice of Mark Turcott. He's a senior lecturer in the English department here at DePaul and a member of the Turtle Mountain Band of Chippewa Indians. He's also a poet and a short story writer, but there he was reading the work of a fellow poet, Jeanette Armstrong. The title of the poem is History Lessons. Are you looking forward to Columbus Day? Oh, always. <laughs> um, I sort of miss the days when sometimes we used to get the day off for Columbus Day. I guess some people still do. <laughs> yeah. Your ideological biases never uh, impacted that? Well, yeah, I, I, that's assuming that I have ideological biases or that I have some sort of ethical <laughs> standard for things. You know, a day off is a day off. You know, I mean, I already get days off from work for other things that I don't believe in. So, <laughs> um, but no, you know, being uh, a native person, Columbus Day is, is a troubling, uh, um, a troubling Americanism. You know that. Uh, that we've been having to deal with more and more, and we've been taking the time to deal with more and more. There's sort of a, a long history of Native people, especially in North America, kind of tolerating inconsideracies, um, impoliteness, um, downright offenses and insults and degradations, and um, that we have slowly have decided that we need to stop being polite about. As a whole, we Americans need to start accepting some of the really ugly 
sad truths about our history in order to evolve, in order to move on. Um, you know, there's this movement right now, you know, this refrain of we want our country back. What does that mean? You know, we want to make America great again. What does that mean? When was America great? You know, America was great for you, but America wasn't great for, you know, a lot of people of color, you know. This idea of the American dream, yeah, um, the America that you remember, you know, that, um, that mythos is a dream for you, but it was a nightmare for just about everybody else, you know. Um, and it's not just by color. A lot of it is by class, you know. And immigrant groups have been treated poorly every time they've arrived here until they've sort of tried to turn into Americans, then they're suddenly acceptable, you know. Um, I think we need to face, you know, in the same way we need to face things about ourselves personally, you know, on a daily basis. We, we make adjustments about how we see ourselves and admissions about our own past, I think. Um, I think that's a healthy thing. I'm not saying he was a prince. Yes, he was under contract with the sovereigns. He was getting, he was an opportunist. And he had to, uh, you know, meet his contract. But give credit where it's due. That's Lou Gallo. Lou is a member of the Order Sons of Italy in America and is the chairman of the New York State branch of that organization's Commission for Social Justice. He's a former social studies teacher, and he even dresses up and plays the role of Christopher Columbus in Columbus Day celebrations in New York. Let's just start sort of generally. Uh, why is it important that we celebrate Columbus Day? Okay. What most people don't know, uh, particularly the public, uh, especially in the context of what's going on today, is that this was a momentous discovery. And that is the exact phrase, momentous discovery. Because prior to that, Europeans didn't know very much about the world. And during the age of exploration, uh, along comes a guy who comes up with an idea to get to the East. Now, the Greeks knew about it. Everybody kind of knew that, uh, you know, you could sail west to get to East, but nobody ever tried it except this guy. And faced with unbelievable odds, uh, going to nine different, uh, nine different places, including the sovereigns of Europe and also the university in Barcelona and some other universities, they flatly turned him down as far as financing a voyage, doing what he, had, what he decided to do. And so when he finally did you know, cobble the necessary resources to do this, he actually went west and literally discovered what he thought was Asia, but was really a whole new continent in the Western Hemisphere that over time, uh, induced greater exploration, settlement, and colonization, and that in turn induced a mass migration of people from Europe, uh, who, who who brought in uh, you, you, Europeans who brought in their their ideals and their ways and their culture, that eventually created the greatest country on the face of the earth. I mean, forget the fact that we know that Norse peoples um, probably landed on the continent you know, on the east, up and down the east coast, that Pacific Rim peoples, you know, before, long before Columbus, were doing trade on what we think of now as the west coast. You know, the Native Americans claim, how could it be a discovery? We know, we, we knew, you know, we knew it was there. Yeah, but the Europeans didn't know. Right. From an ideological frame of reference, the Europeans, this was truly a discovery. It was new. They didn't know much about it, and therefore they became more curious and therefore this developed uh, more exploration and colonization. What would you say then to people who argue that Columbus 
his actions that he took after arriving um, in America, you know, there's evidence of abuse of the indigenous people, mm -hmm. um, things mm -hmm. like that. What, what would you say um, in Very response simple. to those people? Uh, not unusual. We, we all claim he wasn't a saint or a prince, but believe me when I tell you, Derek, the slave trade and slavery and brutality existed in those Americas amongst natives far longer and... and uh, Far longer and sooner than when Christopher Columbus ever got there. Columbus, you know, I mean, we know now. We know from all of the accounts, you know, the writings uh, of Columbus himself, the writings of his companions, the drawings of his companions. There's really no argument against the proof that this was a horrific encounter. This was not a glorious exploration of the world. I mean, even the, the silly myth about Columbus wanting to... Um, you know, prove that the world wasn't flat. I mean, people had known for a thousand, you know, a millennia that the earth wasn't flat, but we still cling to that sort of idea. Um, the idea that he was on this glorious journey of discovery that had nothing to do with gold. I mean, that's just insane. I mean, really, the guy was lost. If you think about it, he, was a, he failed in his task. And ultimately, um, the people who were his bosses were pretty dissatisfied and in a lot of ways appalled and ashamed that his behavior, and not just his behavior, but the behavior of everyone that he brought with him on his several trips. Um, his companions, especially, is it uh, Bartolome de las Casa, you know, has written extensively and in detail of how offended he was um, by the way the indigenous peoples were treated in what essentially probably was one of the islands of the Bahamas or something where they first landed, you know. Well, that's actually an important point um, because a, a lot of people would say, you know, you can't look in hindsight and apply 21st century morality to the actions of, you know, Christopher Columbus. But his you're saying his actions were not even even of his own time. Uh, his actions were not justified or, or not acceptable by the standards of that time. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's one of the standard defenses, you know, in um, that, well, we can't make expect Columbus and, and his companions to behave the way we do now, although our contemporary morals are suspect <laughs> in themselves, so that measurement might not be that, uh, might not be that far off. But it's, that's not true. I mean, there were plenty of people who were contemporaries of Columbus who were appalled by the behavior, by the treatment of people, you know, good. This was a Christian mission. There were good Christian people um, behind the sword and appalled by the sword, you know. Um, every, just about everybody had blood on their hands in one way or another. Is he a failed, flawed human being? Absolutely. Absolutely. But most of the revisionists rely on two sources that they, who of themselves, were very hyper, hyperbolic people. One of them was Bartolomeo, uh, Bartolomeo de los Casas, who was a Franciscan monk, who read uh, Columbus's journal, okay, uh, lost it, and then kind of rewrote the history based on his memory. And he's been known to exaggerate the figures, the millions. He made one comment that the Arawaks lived in a building of 600 people and there's a family. How many people do you know of in the early societies had 600 people living in a dwelling? That's impossible. I just don't see it. I just don't get it. The other one is Francisco de Bobadilla. Now, Francisco de Bobadilla was a contemporary rival of Columbus. 
that also wanted the accolades as much as possible on any of the discoveries found by Columbus. He wanted to be the viceroy of the islands in the Caribbean and Hispaniola. And when he gave it to Columbus, he got really upset. So he kept a dossier on Columbus. And, of course, once uh, Columbus uh, failed uh, miserably, uh, he brought that to the Spanish crown, and they, of course, unloaded Columbus. But it was simply, the reason for that was simply to discredit Columbus as much as possible. Columbus himself even admitted, I'm a navigator, I'm not an administrator. He's a horrible government administrator. Yeah. Yes, things got out of hand in Hispaniola, but a lot of it, too, was, uh, you know, his crew. And, of course, um, the one who's responsible for what goes on with the crew is the leader. And so he took it on the chin. But he never held a slave, he never committed an atrocity, and he never sold a slave personally. As you can tell, both Mark and Lou cited a lot of historical information. It was more than I could follow. So I sought out Dr. Anna Shaposhnik, a professor of history here at DePaul who specializes in Latin American and pre-colonial history, to help me talk through some of it. It's not that Columbus writes a journal day by day. <laughs> you <Okay>. can trace <laughs> yeah. the incident, you know, the detonator of change. Uh, it, these are fragmented writings that you put together. we put together today. I mean, I say that in class always, colonial Latin American history fragments, and you mm-hmm. put them together. He did four trips. Uh, he's position and his, let's say, interactions with the crown changed throughout these four trips. He, I mean, from being the Almirante, Almirante de la Gran, de la Mar Oceano, big commander, let's say, from big commander to at some point being taken back, almost in jail. <laughs> so <laughs> so he's a, he's a quite of a controversial figure. So how much did the Europeans know about the Americas pre-Christopher Columbus? They had no idea, they had no knowledge. Uh, Columbus knew about the shape of the earth, but he didn't know about the existence of the continent. And actually in his initial writings, in the letters, the writings that we have that arrived from him, he describes the islands of the Caribbean and he thinks that he's in Japan. Right. But, um, so the Europeans had no knowledge of the Americas, um, but then there were like some Norse um, explorers, right, that had landed yeah. before. Yeah, there were some Norse explorers, but the Europeans that are, well, maybe I should say the Europeans who arrived at, with Columbus and after Columbus had no knowledge. A- another issue that sort of popped up a lot in my discussions is a, a discussion about morality in Columbus's time. Do you sort of know what the, the cultural standard was for, for these types of encounters? Well, it's a new encounter because at the time of the encounter, they were unaware of the existence of the American continent and they were unaware of the existence of the so-called Native American population. So again, Columbus changes his way of seeing the population. At the beginning, he sees them as very naive and very welcoming. And at some point, he thinks, uh, Columbus thinks uh, at some point that he can recruit the Native American population back to Europe to take them to be part of the Crusades. At the same time, the crown is unclear about how to classify the Native American population. So during the early 16th century, let's say until the mid-16th century, the 1550s, the crown is at at some point uh, regulating permissions, the so-called capitulaciones, permissions to advance in the conquest. Uh, appointments to governors with orders to govern, and at the same time uh, requesting the opinion of intellectuals and philosophers to classify and define. Uh, So 
to compare treatment of other populations, it has to include the consideration of how the population was defined. Uh, Bartolome de las Casas mm -hmm. has popped up um, mm -hmm. on both sides, actually. Okay. Uh, do you feel that he's a reliable source of information on this? Yeah. 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 Yeah, he's a reliable source. He's been editing, he edited part of the work of Columbus that we know. So part of what we know about what Columbus wrote is through Bartolomé de las Casas. He, he was one of the participants in the debates that I mentioned before about the, the discussion about the quality of the Native Americans. Uh, he was in the New World for many, 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 many years. There were people who participated on those debates that took place in, place in Spain who had never been in the American continent. So yeah, I consider him a reliable source. I, I know that this is a <laughs> perhaps a, an impossible question to answer because there's just so many things to, to take into consideration. But for you personally, you know, in your opinion, um, how many deaths do you attribute to Columbus um, and these encounters? Okay. It's hard to quantify the amount of deaths because we don't have a prior census. Oh, okay. So we don't have, you know, a count of population before 1492. What we have for before 1492 is archaeology or ethnohistory, but you cannot excavate the entire continent to really have a census. You can excavate, you know, the Maya area, the Inca area, and based on what you find, you can draw a projection. So we, it's hard to talk about numbers. Yet most historians uh, agree, and I agree too, that the impact in the population in the early encounter, it's not only Columbus, it's the early encounter and the diseases, probably between 70 to 90 or 95% of the population perished. Oh, wow. These are all estimations and projections and they get revised by scholars periodically, but sure. somewhere between 70 to 90% of the population suffered the impact in the early, early moments. Then there is recuperation. After talking to Dr. Shaposhnik, I felt like I had a much better understanding of the facts, or more accurately, I felt like I had a better understanding of why facts about Columbus were so hard to come by. But I'm starting to realize that there's a lot more to this than getting down to the historical truth. Both Mark Turcotte and Lou Gallo discussed how this Columbus Day issue affects them now, in the present. Both of them showed that this is not an abstract discussion for them. For both, it's a discussion with high stakes and real consequences. What are the um, what are the consequences of myths like the myth of Columbus now? How does that trickle into our culture today? Well, sadly, it keeps getting repeated. Right. Um, even when you prove something wrong, it you know, or incorrect, or you adjust it. You know, um, we get accused, of course, you know, people who feel this way about Columbus or other parts of our history um, get accused of being revisionists. Um, since when is revising and correcting and being more accurate about the past and about history, why is that a dirty thing? You know, why is that a bad thing? So in a weird way, you know, something like Columbus leads to the Washington Redskins or the Cleveland Indians or, you know, I'm... I'm I'm going to get shot in Chicago for saying this, but the Chicago Blackhawks, you know, from the beginning, from the beginning, uh, European peoples treated the indigenous peoples of the Americas as mascots. They put them on the maps um, that they made, uh, especially the women to represent the virgin continents, you know, the virgin hemisphere. So we've been treated as mascots in general and then very specifically as sports mascots 
um, in the in the U.S. mostly um, ever since then. For Italians, it's very sensitive because if you take a look at the American calendar of holidays, there's only two personalities that have their own day. One of them is Dr. Martin Luther King. The other one is Christopher Columbus. So from an Italian-American point of view, uh, we want the world to annually remember and reflect on this momentous discovery because of its consequences that really opened up not only a new world, but the development of a whole new history uh, of the Americas. And that's why it's very important to do that. And, it, and of course, you know, um, my wonderful Italian friends have gotten irritated about the idea that, well, in a way, celebrating Columbus is just a way of celebrating Italian-American heritage, which, you know, I'm, I'm not going to tell them that that's not right, but I think there are other ways to celebrate Italian-American heritage um, that don't need to include Columbus. Um, I, I've talked to a few people who say that they would be in favor of uh, changing Columbus Day to, like, Italian-American Heritage Day. Uh, mm -hmm. what, what would you lose um, if that were to happen? Now, the Italian-American community is somewhat divided on that. I shouldn't say divided. That, that has come up even within the Italian-American community. I'm a more of a traditionalist and a conservative about it. Uh, because I'm a former social studies teacher and I've studied Columbus and taught this for 33 years of my life, Okay, I say, let's reflect on the singular achievement by a man who did this. Because all these Italian-American celebrations and all this attempt to change the day is a way to blunt the criticisms about Columbus. Okay, But we must never forget that the only reason why we're holding in a culture and heritage month in the month of October is because originally this was a Columbus Day celebration. And I say, let's reflect on that. Let's remind the people that it was this Italian-American that did this. And in the Italian-American community, they should be four square behind it as a result. Columbus, the story is just sort of too good. You know, it's got rhymes and all that stuff, and people have named cities and, and, you know, institutions after Columbus. You know, Sherman Alexie, the, the native writer, made a joke when he was on the, Col the old Colbert show a couple of years ago. He said, yeah, I, I appreciate the nice hotel you put me in, but my room overlooks Columbus Circle. Did you do that to me on purpose, like just to badger me about Columbus, you know? Um, we encounter this stuff everywhere. How many streets, counties, cities, towns in this country, including our own D.C., are named after Columbus? He is the most popular icon as a statue in the world, more than any other world figure. He's on the European continent, he's in the North American continent, he's in the South American continent, and he's in Central America. I mean, he's been held up as a model for so long. This happened more than you might think. Both Mark Turcott and Lou Gallo, smart men on opposite sides of an issue, cited the exact same evidence and read it in completely different ways. After listening back to a few of these instances, I began to realize that my approach this whole time had been all wrong. I started out on this project with a desire to cut through the noise and just present the facts to reach some sort of objective conclusion about Columbus and about Columbus Day. 
I realize now that to strip away the emotion from this discussion would be impossible, as the emotion is every bit as relevant as the facts. In my conversation with Dr. Shaposhnik, she mentioned that she often tells her students that the discipline of history is like putting together a puzzle without the benefit of having the picture on the box. You have to examine sources without having all of the information. You let the sources lead you to your conclusions, but you still have to draw your own conclusions, and that gets tricky. I think the puzzle metaphor is a good one, and I'd like to stick with it for a minute. All of the people I talk to for this story know the facts. They've examined the sources. They have the same puzzle pieces. They just have different ideas about how they should go together. Wherever you stand on Christopher Columbus, I would urge you this Columbus Day to take apart your puzzle. Look at the pieces all anew, read new perspectives, talk to people who don't agree with you. Then, after all that, see if you put the puzzle back together the same way. You might be surprised at what it looks like when you're done. And that's the end of our show here for another week. There are so many people to thank as this episode involved the contributions of so many different people. First and foremost, I want to thank my fellow producers, Matt Barbusio and Sanjana Corinth. They helped out tremendously with a lot of legwork and a lot of brainstorming behind the scenes for this one. I also want to thank everybody who came on air with me to share their thoughts, share their opinions, share their time. Dr. Anna Shaposhnik has a new book. It just came out a few days ago. It's called The Lima Inquisition, The Plight of Crypto-Jews in 17th Century Peru. Mark Turcott has two collections of poetry out, Exploding Chippewas and The Feathered Heart. Lou Gallo is a member of the Order Sons of Italy in America. That organization's website is osia.org. Lou is also the chairman for that organization's New York State Commission of Social Justice. That organization has a website, nyscsj.org, where they have a lot more information about Christopher Columbus, including a 32-page periodical that Lou worked on with a number of other historians that is available for anybody who wants it. I also want to thank Kabir Karanth for sharing his thoughts and his knowledge with us. And I want to thank his mom, Mita Karanth, for sharing Kabir with us. If you're on campus, there's going to be an event on Columbus Day. Um, That's this Monday, October 12th, from 11.30 a.m. to 12.30 p.m. in Student Center Room 314B. The speaker is Colin Sampson, wrote a book called A World You Do Not Know, Settler Societies, Indigenous Peoples, and the Attack on Cultural Diversity. So if you're on campus and you want more information, go check that out. Our score for today's episode was produced by my friend Ramsey Cronin. You can check out more of his work at soundcloud.com slash compkeys. That's C-O-M-P underscore K-E-Y-Z, compkeys. As always, you can listen to Radio DePaul at radio.depaul.edu. You can listen to Radio DePaul Sports at radiodepaulsports.com, or you can listen to both on the Radio DePaul app. If you are not already listening to us on the Radio DePaul app, I recommend that you go ahead and download that app. It's by far the easiest way to interact with the station. You have everything you need right at your fingertips, literally. We'll be back to our regular format for next week. I will see you all then with more best bits from Radio DePaul, Chicago's College Connection. <laughs>